0: Good morning. Today's reading is from 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, Live as people who are free, not using your freedoms as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. Thank you, Linda. Good morning, I'm Pastor Brooks, lead pastor here at Grace Community Church. Let's open with a fun-filled question. How many of you, when you get on your phones, you get on your tablets, or you turn on cable news, and you're, you're, you're scrolling through the events of what, what's happening the previous week or, or the previous 24 hours in your culture, how many of you, you find that to be an edifying, encouraging moment? Is there anyone who finds observing what's going on in the culture an edifying, encouraging moment? Not so much. I, I didn't expect that that, quest, that question would be answered uh, in the af- if affirmative. In fact, if you're like most people, you look at our culture and you see a culture which seems to be on on the decay even more so. You see, a, you see a trajectory towards spiritual entropy, if you will. I mean, that just simply means things seem to be getting worse, yes? And here's the irony. I think Christians, by and large... Look backwards for the good old days. Is that true? When exactly were the good old days? I'm, I'm not being facetious. I'm being serious. When were the good old days? Well, I beg to differ because I'm going to go back here to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1 and I want you to understand that when Christ ascended into heaven and gave the church his Holy Spirit, they were not good days. I mean, we look at the sexual immorality and we look at the gender confusion, we look at all the stuff that's going on in the news and we think, this is terrible. And I, I'm not advocating it. I'm not, I'm not a proponent for it. I'm not applauding and saying, oh, look, it's so good now. No, no. But if you look backwards, I, here, here, here's, a little, here's a little reality. If one of our national politicians, this is a hypothetical, it were to come out that one of our national leaders were sexually involved with a young boy, would that be a career ender for them? Yes or no? It should be. It would be. It would be. Not in Peter's day. That was the norm. Please understand times are not good, they've never been good. So what do we do until they are good? What do we do as followers of Christ until our king returns? What do we do? Do we slip into despair? Do we slip into cynicism? Do we take up arms? What do we do? Peter addresses this very thing because that's what The churches in his day were asking, and their situation was far more dire, far more dire. I'm not saying that things are good now. These are not the good old days, but they weren't the good old days in the 1980s when I was a young kid either. Things have always been, always been messed up. See, when Christ ascended into heaven and he gave his spirit, the kingdom had come. But in one sense, the kingdom is, but it's not yet. It's not consummated. So what do we do in the meantime between not yet and consummation? What do we do? That's what Peter's going to address. Here's what we looked at the week before Missions uh, Sunday. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. What is an exile? But a person who doesn't fit in and doesn't belong. This isn't your home. It's not my home. We got to make do. What do we do as exiles to abstain from the passions of flesh which wage war against our souls? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be clear, there is a day of visitation. Jesus will return in glory and everyone will give an account for every word, every deed, and every thought. But how do we conduct ourselves in such a way that those who do not believe, those who malign your faith, those who seek to do you harm, those who are ignorant of what is right and what is wrong, how do we live amongst them in such a way that God is glorified and God is honored? You see, what Peter is writing to these people in the first century is poignantly relevant for us today. The only thing that's changed is technology. That's it. That's it. So what Peter is going to take us through over the next four weeks is what does it look like to conduct ourselves honorably amongst those who don't share our faith? And there are three contexts. Three contexts that he's going to cover in 1 Peter chapter. 2 verses 13 through 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. The first is how do we interact with the government? So that should be fun. The second one is how do we interact in the context of the marketplace? And the third one is how do we interact in the context of marriage? Two parts to that one. Two parts to that one. Now each of these, each of these assumes because of the text, both leading up to it, which we looked at a few weeks back, and immediately following it, that every single one of these contexts is a Christian interacting with someone who is not and who is actively, possibly, even, uh, even treating them, maligning them, or, or, or there's injustice involved. So it assumes that the context of government work in marriage is crappy. Does, does that make sense? It's important for you to get that before we step into it. Here's what we're not looking at. Peter is not Peter is not writing a treatise on how to have a Christian government. Nor is he writing on how to create a Christian workspace. Nor is he writing on how to have a Christian marriage. He's not writing on how-to's he's writing to Christians on how to follow Jesus under an oppressive government, a terrible work situation, and potentially an awful marriage. Does that make sense? Make sure, because if you are thinking, oh, Peter's going to tell us how we should govern our, our nation. No, he's not. And you'll be disappointed if you think that's what you're going to hear in the next 30 to 40 or 50 minutes, however long it takes me to get to the end of the text. So that, that's where we're headed, and, and this morning we're going to look at the, the subject of government. Four things. What is commanded? Why should we obey the command? Uh, and why is obedience hard? And then how do we do it? How do we obey? So turn to the text, 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 13, and then we will... See what the Lord has to say to us. Father, we come to you in absolute, humble dependence. We are in need of the Holy Spirit's revelation to hearts. We're in need of an application of the gospel. Lord, we look at the news, and it, it's, it's discouraging. It's defeating. It, it, sometimes it's just it's irritating, and it's infuriating. Uh, Lord, to see the social decay and the social rot Even within the body of Christ, and Lord, it doesn't honor you, it doesn't bring you glory, what do we do? Spirit, speak to your people. Lord, we are your people. You ascended Calvary to take our sins and to separate them as far as the east is from the west. You entered the tomb and you conquered sin and you conquered death and you rose again and you sent us your spirit. Spirit, speak to us through your word. Sanctify us. Help us to love genuinely, to love deeply, to not grow in, 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 in despair, but to grow in encouragement because of the hope that we have in you, not the hope that we have in our self-governance. God, speak through your word this morning that we might be encouraged and that you might be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, to the text. First of all, what is commanded? Be subject. The word is submit. It means to place yourself voluntarily under the authority of another. That's what the word means. Be subject. For the Lord's sake, to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So what's commanded is pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. Whoever your governing authorities are in the local uh, or regional lever- levels, as, as in state magistrates or or local magistrates or state governance or or a national level, regardless of whether it's the emperor in his context, or 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 the, the president of the United States in our context, or 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 the governor like, like Pilate was a governor of Judea. He's a, he's a governor over the region of Judea during Jesus' time, or Governor Reynolds, as in as in our case in the state of Iowa. He's saying these are human institutions. And, and they're sent by him. Who's the him? Who's the pronoun here? Who's, who's him referred to? God. They're sent by God. They're ordained. They're ordained by God to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. This is the purpose of human government. And, 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 and Peter is saying, as followers of Christ, in order, the, in order to silence those who, who malign your faith, who consider your faith to be a destructive thing in the community silence them by being obedient to the lord by by submitting yourself to the local authorities and the regional and the and the and the, and, and the emperor as supreme to every human institution now in peter's context who's the emperor nero is the emperor now i know you think I don't like my president. Or maybe you were around before and you didn't like the other president that was here before this president. And you think, oh, it's the worst ever. No, it's not the worst ever. Neither one of the last two presidents has dipped Christians in pitch and lit them on fire to illuminate his garden. There's a difference. I'm not saying things are great. They're not as bad as they were in Peter's day. And yet, that's who he's talking about. Peter's talking about submitting to the very one who will be in charge when he's led to a cross and crucified upside down. <laughs> so, you know, Peter's not like, oh gosh, you guys have it so hard in the 21st century. No, he's not. He's speaking to his generation. He's speaking to our generation. He's speaking to all generations. Submit to the governing authorities. Now, because you're like me, I know, and it's just for fun. How many of you are already entertaining the what ifs? You're like, yeah, but what if? But what if? But what if? How many of you are doing that? Well, it's because you're normal. You're asking questions that you should ask. So, what if the governing authorities are asking me to do something which, if I obey, causes me to disobey my Savior and my King? Then disobey them. By all means, you have precedent. Acts chapter 4, verse 19, and again in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, the very person who wrote those words was told to stop preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ by the local authorities. And what did he say? Okay. No, he didn't say okay. He said, you judge whether it is right to obey man or God. And then he went on preaching Christ and was subsequently arrested many, many times for that and eventually martyred for that. Peter's not saying... Submit to the governing authorities and obey them when they tell you to disobey Christ. Peter has one king, but he also has an emperor. The emperor is Nero, the king is Jesus. Ultimately, Jesus submits to Nero, or Jesus submits, Jesus does not, well, actually Jesus did submit, put himself under the authority of Pontius Pilate, That's, we'll get to that later, but Peter submits to Nero, as he submits to Christ. His ultimate authority is Jesus. So if the governing authorities in our day and age, they command us to disobey Christ, it is our duty, it is our duty to disobey. It's called civil disobedience. And, and, and by the way, don't be shocked then when you receive punishment for that. See Martin Luther King Civil disobedience has consequences, but you can disobey the govern- government with a good conscience as a follower of Christ, but also be willing to go to jail. That, that's the gist of it. So no, no, you, you're not obedient in every case, but Peter's talking about a generality. The purpose of human institution is to keep the peace. Um, just jump real quick to Romans chapter 13. This is a, a helpful passage, Romans chapter 13. Paul talks about this a little bit more detail than, than maybe Peter does. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, to ba- but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what's good, and you will receive his approval." For he is, this is interesting, he is God's servant for your good. Who's God's servant? Joe Biden. Donald Trump before him. Obama before him. Nero is God's servant. Caligula, God's servant. Nebuchadnezzar, who knew? God's servant. Darius, God's servant. You pick any Pagan tyrant in the history of the world, and they fit under the category of God's servant. That does not mean they are worshipers of the one true God. They are serving oftentimes their own selfish interests for lust, a lust for power, but they are unwitting servants of the God who, order, who orders creation to have order in the universe. It doesn't mean they're good rulers, it does mean they're God's servants. That makes sense? So that's What's commanded? That's what is commanded. Now, why should we obey? Be subject for the what's the text say? The Lord's sake. For the sake of the Lord, be subject. For the sake of the Lord. It honors Christ, it honors God when we submit ourselves to the governing authorities to every human institution, whether it be for the emperor supreme or to governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Verse 14, verse 14 you can see that one of the reasons to obey is simply to avoid punishment. I, I, I know all of you enjoy driving below the speed limit, but, but why do you do so? For the sheer sake of enjoyment, or is it to avoid punishment? For most of you, it's to avoid punishment. You'd like to go faster, but you don't. Actually, technically, you actually go just five miles above the speed limit because you know, the, you know how the game is played. But you get the idea, right? That's just what we do. We avoid punishment. So that's for the sake of the Lord, but then also to avoid punishment. There's, there's also here in, in verse 15, it's the will of God because he said so. If no other reason than he just simply commanded it. It is his will, therefore do it. That really we don't need any more exposition on that particular bullet point, for it is the will of God that by doing good, and here's the, the last reason: by your obedience you put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. In Peter's day, in Peter's day, the Roman culture believed that that being a Christian was subversive to the, to the empire of Rome. In other words, they looked at the Christians and they thought, you know, if a person is a Christian, that's going to bring ill to the community. They, they were, they, they, by virtue of the fact that they would not, they would not uh, worship Caesar... Whichever Caesar was in power at the moment, whichever emperor, because they were civilly disobedient in worshiping Caesar, so that doesn 't apply obeying the, the authorities doesn 't mean worship Caesar, so they were civilly disobedient, that made them treasonous, so they were viewed as against the empire they, they, they thought that Romans and and Jews alike thought that being Christian that would would bring would bring harm to the culture so it wasn't a positive thing. Just like, just like many people in our culture today believe that those who follow Jesus and believe in him, they believe that you are the problem and that people like you are the problem. And if, we could just, if, the, if the culture could just rid itself of a Christian influence, the world would be a better place. Do you agree that that's predominantly a true thing in our culture? That's what the Romans thought. That's what the Romans thought. They thought if, we could, if the Christians would just stop, and by the way, they were so small, so minuscule, they were not really an influence. They weren't a voting block. There was no evangelical voting block that, that, that Nero catered so he could get power. They weren't, it wasn't a thing. But it was believed that the Christian influence was a negative one, same as today. And what's Peter saying? By your obedience to the governing authorities, you shut them up here's what Jeremiah wrote to the literal exiles who were going into Babylon. He said, listen, you have all these prophets and they're telling you, you need to resist Nebuchadnezzar. You need to fight Nebuchadnezzar. The Lord will deliver him into your hands. Jeremiah says, they're false prophets. They're not speaking for God. I'm speaking for God and here's what God says. Go willingly into exile. There you go. Go willingly into exile and seek the good of the city that you live amongst. Seek the welfare of the city, for in seeking their welfare, you seek your own. And here's what happened. Daniel goes to Babylon and becomes a servant of Nebuchadnezzar, Darius, and Cyrus. He does civilly disobey. That's how he gets thrown in the lion's den. But he also loves and serves the king's And he was a servant. He loved those people. He loved Nebuchadnezzar. O king, may you live forever. He had Nebuchadnezzar's best interests at heart. He served them as he served God. And that's what the exiles in Babylon did. And this is what Peter is telling us to do. Seek the welfare of the city you live in even if you are ruled by individuals who do not share your faith and who believe that you are a bad influence in your culture. Does anyone see the parallels here? They are rich. It's not a one-to-one. We do not live in a totalitarian society yet. We might. Peter does. We live in a democratic public where, republic where we actually have a voice in, in electing our, uh, uh, our officials. Peter didn't. But, but the, principle, the principles are the same. The principles are the same. So that's why we should obey. That's why we should obey. Obedience silences ignorant and foolish people. It is the will of God, and we obey for the Lord's sake. Those are the reasons. Now, how many of you think, well, that's all I need to know. I'm, I'm just, I'm good. I, I'm highly motivated, and I'm ready to just go out there and submit. Anyone? Hands are just like, no, not so much. Why is this so hard? And by the way, next week will be difficult too, and will the weeks after? None of what we're hearing from 1 Peter makes us think, I'm just so encouraged. I just can't wait. Why? Why is obedience hard? Three things, and there there are lots more, but just three, and they're not necessarily from the text, but just general observations. Uh, we have a natural aversion to authority. How many of you like to submit to anyone? No hands go up, huh? Why? because you're related to Adam and Eve in the garden in the garden, Satan comes and he says did God really say? I mean, seriously, let's be real. Did he really say that you can't eat of any tree in the garden? She says, no, no, no. He didn't say that. He said we can eat from any tree in the garden, just not this one, the tree of the knowledge of of, of good and evil. Oh, oh, oh. See, here's the deal, Eve. God doesn't want you in on his little secret. See, he knows that on the day that you eat of that fruit, your eyes are going to be open and you're going to be just like him. And you are going to know the difference between good and evil, and then you won't need them anymore. And so she saw that the fruit was pleasing to the eyes and desirous for wisdom, and so she ate, and she gave some to Adam. And from that moment on, we have always thought we know better. We know better than God. We know better than our parents when we were teenagers or toddlers. We know better than the governing authority. Whoever's in charge, your boss, you know better, right? He or she is a complete moron and a buffoon, and they don't recognize your awesomeness. I'm I'm laying it on here a little thick, but is this not true? Is this not the way we tend to think? How many of us, in general, look at the governing authorities and think, "These, these people are morons, Who elected them? You, us. Do you see the pattern? We have a natural aversion to all authority. It doesn't matter what context. The only difference, the only thing right now is Peter's talking about a specific context. So we have a natural aversion. We have a natural aversion to any type of authority. Emphasize any. Any. Second, we do not by the upside-down nature of God's kingdom. Now, that requires a little bit of explanation. Upside-down nature of the kingdom. What does that mean? Turn to Matthew chapter 20. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm sorry. I'm laughing. I'm just anticipating. All right. Here we go. The upside-down nature of the kingdom. What's that all about? Look at verse 24, chapter 20 of Matthew. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. Two brothers that wanted to sit on his right and his left and be the most awesome in the kingdom when Jesus instituted his full kingdom reign. So they were indignant when they heard this. Uh, And then he says, he called them and said in verse 25, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the upside-down nature of the kingdom. Here's what I mean. The kingdom of man, the kingdom of man, the way that you advance, the way that you advance the kingdom of man is by lording authority over other people. The Congress has the power of the sword and the power of the purse to punish those who disobey and to legislate laws that get you to do what is good for society in principle, yes? That's, that's how the world works. That's how it's always worked. People will do good or refrain from evil as long as someone is an authority over them that's either giving them uh, there's a threat involved. There's a sword or there's the power to tax. That's, that's the way the world works. Does anyone want to dis- disagree with that? That's, that's how it works. Various forms of government, from socialism to communism to democratic republic to totalitarianism, but all of them have that in common, right? That's the way the world gets people to obey. Now, Jesus comes along and says, not so among you. Do you want to be a great leader? Okay, yeah. Okay, then you become a slave and a servant of all. Wait, time out, time out, time out. How does me getting down off of a position of power and putting myself in a position of of being a servant to all and washing feet and having no political power, having no monetary influence and having no army, how does that change the world? And Jesus is like, just watch. Just wait and see what happens. That's the upside-down nature of the kingdom. And I'm telling you that Christians today don't buy it. Eh, we have to buy it because Jesus said it, but we don't practice it. And it's not practical. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And the way to real change is to get power. Nobody buys that. Now, I know the wheel, I can see the wheels spinning. Are you saying that we shouldn't be involved in politics? No, I'm not saying that. It is your civic duty and responsibility to be actively engaged in culture, and yes, that includes through politics, but don't kid yourself. That does not bring about lasting change. Only the gospel does. Only the gospel does. You're a fool if you don't vote. And you're a fool if you don't vote according to your moral conscience as governed by what the scriptures say. But you are a bigger fool if you place your hope in politics. It is not my goal to be provocative or offensive. But the gospel is the only hope for this culture. And that's what Peter's preaching to. Do you think Peter had this, had this hope that, oh, I hope the next Caesar is nice? No! He had zero hope. Zero hope. In the Christianization of the Roman Empire. And by the way, the Christianization of the Roman Empire led us to the Dark Ages. It seems, just throughout church history, that the church is most holy, most beautiful, and most powerful when they don't have power. And every time you give a little power to a group of Christians, they create the Holy Roman Empire. It it just it's just the way it's just the way things work when christians live the opposite of the upside down principle it leads to injustice and impress, uh, oppression all the time and there aren't any exceptions and thirdly we have made a literal idol of politics that's not even a metaphor okay just for fun That's the Lincoln Memorial. Read the inscription right above Lincoln's head. In this temple, as in the hearts of the people for whom he saved, the union, the memory of Abraham Lincoln is enshrined forever. Does anybody have a problem with that? What's wrong with that statement? Let's go, let's, let's start with the word temple. If you look up temple in any dictionary, Oxford, Webster's, doesn't matter. If you look up temple, there is no definition of temple that is not connected to worship. None. What, What does that say about who we are as a people? We have elevated into a place of worship our national form of government and And it shows us the innate tendency in each one of us to look to the next political leader to be our savior. Peter never had... There was 0% chance that a first century Christian was going to hope in the next emperor to be the savior of, of, of the Christian people. It was just not a thing. But it's a thing now. It's, a, it's certainly a thing now. See, the upside down nature of the kingdom is illustrated so poignantly when Jesus comes before Pilate and he's bound and, and Pilate's like, so, are you a king? Because your people say that you're a king and he says, well, you have said so. And he goes, what do you mean I have said so? You're on trial. You're you're arrested. They brought you to me. I didn't arrest you. Tell me, are you a king? And and what's the nature of your kingdom? It says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, if it were, if my kingdom were of this world, my followers would fight. But it's not of this world. And all those who are on the side of truth, listen to me. And what was Pilate's response? You remember what Pilate's response was? (laughs) Truth. What does truth have to do with it? I'm the one in power. I have the authority to release you and set you free. And what did Jesus say? Power? You have no power except on authority of the power that my Father has granted you. Do you see what Jesus understood? the very man who had the power to take his life had no power at all except that which was granted to him by his father. And Jesus knew that the power that he had and the power that his disciples had was not the power of the sword. It was not the power of the purse. It was not the power of leading a government. It was the power of the gospel that would transform them and it would transform their culture and eventually the Holy Roman Empire would be tossed on its head without one single election and without one army but only through the faithful witness of those who proclaim the excellencies of their King Jesus. Why do we think it has to be different today? I think we think it's different today because we don't live in a totalitarian government. We have options. We live in a democratic Uh, a democratic republic where we, the people, are the government. We elect them. So unlike Peter's Day, we've been given, we've been delegated some of that authority, and we have the power to speak truth into our culture. Praise the Lord. By the way, I am a full-fledged, I think the democratic republic, what we have is the best that you could come up with in any human institution. I do. I'm biased, of course. I was raised in in America, and I I think it's a great system. It's not perfect, but it's, it's better than the alternatives. But it's not the gospel. And it does not have the power, it does not have the power to bring about revival and change in any meaningful way. It only has the power to restrain evil and promote good. But the gospel has the power to transform the world. And that's what Peter's saying here. As we close, how do we obey? Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Let's take a look, hone in at verse 16. Live as people who are free. In what sense are the people that are reading this for the first time free? Are they politically free? No. Very few of them are Roman citizens and have any rights. Many of them are literal slaves. We'll get to that next week. They don't have political freedom. What freedom is he speaking of? He's talking about their freedom in Christ. Turn to Romans, not Romans, uh, John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Jesus, in John chapter 8, starting in verse 34. Actually, 31. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth and The truth will set you free. They answered, we're offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it you say we should become free? And Jesus answered, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. You see, there's our problem. There's our culture's problem. We're enslaved, not we as an individual Christians, but we as a culture without Christ We are enslaved to sin. Those who practice sin are enslaved to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because the words find no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. What's Jesus getting at? Jesus is getting at is these individuals, these individuals who do not have Christ, and he's speaking to the religious authorities at the time, they're slaves to sin. We live in a culture where predominantly everyone, mostly is a slave to sin. So do you want to see culture change? Then you have to first of all be set free from your sin. You as an individual, and I pose it to you, are you enslaved to sin? You say, well, I'm a Christian. What does that even mean? Well, I go to church. So did these people that Jesus said they're slaves to sin. What does it mean to be free? It means to come to Jesus and recognize that he and he alone is your king, he and he alone is your savior, and he and he alone can forgive you of your sins. And he has conquered sin and death on the cross, and he's ascended into heaven, and he gives to all the Holy Spirit who would simply come to him and receive by grace that free gift of salvation. Then and only then are we then free in Christ, To submit to a tyrannical government in love. Some of you are like, I don't want to sign up for that. Then don't follow Jesus. (laughs) Don't. Don't. You're free to remain a slave. You're free to be rebellious. You're free to do it your way. You're free to do all of those things, which only indicates you're still a slave to your own sin. But when Jesus sets someone free in Christ, free in himself, they are free indeed. And, and to quote Augustine, they're free to love. Here, here's, how, here's, here's what Augustine said. Love God and then do what you want. That's, that's what it means to be free. Some of you are like, wait a minute. That sounds suspicious. Do what you want. Oh, there's a qualifier. Love God. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, and then do whatever you want. See, here's the deal. When you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your strength, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, his loves become your loves. His dislikes become your dislike. you begin to long for and love things you never dreamed that you would long for and love, including your enemies who might be your elected officials. Before we get to our closing prayer, next week we're going to see how Jesus modeled this so perfectly. I'm out of time, so I'm just going to reference it. Jesus is our model and our source of power. Jesus was a servant. Are you willing to serve? Are we willing to serve in our culture to seek the welfare of the city, of the communities that we are in, even when they are they are led by elected officials who maybe you didn't elect and maybe their worldview is completely antithetical to yours and 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 dishonors Christ. Are we willing to serve and seek the welfare of the city and the, and the individuals that we are under? Are we? If we are followers of Christ, the answer must be a resounding yes, or we are not following Christ. Jesus spoke truth. Speak truth. Do not be silent. It will probably get you into trouble. But speak truth In love, see 1 Peter chapter 3.15, where he says, with all gentleness and respect, don't be obnoxious, but be firm. And and that means that you will come head-to-head against your culture on a great many issues. And if you're really following Jesus, you'll come head-to-head against those in your own political party. Because they're... Jesus doesn't ride a donkey and he's sure not riding an elephant. He will not be owned by any political party. So come speak truth into into politics, but don't place your hope there. Jesus spoke truth to Herod, he spoke truth to Pilate. John the Baptist spoke truth and called out Herod and he lost his head, but that's okay. He's in glory. So speak truth, serve, speak truth, and then pray. When Jesus was nailed to a cross and he was being derided by both the Romans and the Jews, what did he pray? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. going to go out on a limb and say that I believe that the church of Jesus Christ that follows him that believes in his word has a lot of repenting to do in the area of praying for our elected officials we're quick to put up Christian memes and non-Christian memes on the internet deriding our elected officials but have we interceded for them I can't answer that for you I can tell you that it's not my general daily practice to intercede for my elected officials. I'm just generally irritated by most of them, which doesn't always lead to prayer, and that's something to be repented of. We'll close with this. Paul says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgiving made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead peaceful and quiet life, godly, in every dignified way. This is good. It's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know what Paul's saying? He's saying, yeah, I know you didn't elect Nero, but I want you to pray that Nero would come to know Jesus. Because if he comes to know Jesus, he'll govern more justly. But that's not even the bigger thing. The bigger thing here is that Nero doesn't know Jesus. Do your elected officials know Jesus, both at a state level and a national level? Some of them do, some of them don't. Do you pray for those who don't or just deride them as the evil ones who you need to get rid of? That's not how Peter rolls. That's not how Paul rolled. That's not how Jesus rolled. That's not how the church that follows Christ is supposed to roll. So pray. So I'm going to pray for us. You can pray along with me. And after I, uh, I close in prayer and dismiss... If you would like to be prayed for, we'll have people, the prayer team will be here forward. If, if there's sickness, if there's discouragement, whatever it is that's going on in your heart, you're just overburdened and you just, you just can't, you can't muster up enough strength to follow Jesus, we'd love to pray for you. But for now, join me in praying for our nation and for our leaders. Father, we live in dark times, but those times were just as dark as they were when Peter literally walked this earth. There are no good old days, just the good days which are yet to come when you return. So, Father, we long for those days and help us to live faithful as exiles today, right now, in the midst of what we see as nonsense and what we see as wickedness and what we see as evil. And some of that evil and some of that wickedness is, is, is being... Um, Is being promoted by our elected officials. Lord, we are right to be troubled by that, but we are wrong not to lift those individuals up in prayer. So we lift all of them at a local level, at a state level, at a regional level, at a national level. We pray, Spirit, that you would penetrate the darkness. That you would lift the veil and the scales from their eyes, that they might see the beauty that is the person of Jesus Christ, that they might come to know him in faith, that they might love you, that they might follow you, that they might submit to you. And Lord, we pray that for your glory and for your honor, for your sake. And Lord, we pray for ourselves, that you would give us more grace to live the principle of the upside-down kingdom where the greatest power is in service and submission. And Lord, we pray that you would use that to silence foolish talk of those who oppose the gospel. And We pray that you would use your church to be salt and light in a decaying culture and a decaying world so that Jesus might be exalted and that we, your people, might experience a time of refreshing as we see the fruit of the gospel, the fruit of the gospel influencing this community and this culture. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless, going grace. If you would like to have someone pray with you, please join us up at the front.